Thank you for listening to the Bible preaching ministry of Dr. Tim Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. In my favorite passage of the Bible, the Gospels, outside of the Psalms, and in this case, we're in the book of Luke. We're calling this, From the Cradle to the Crown, we're just going to cover the early life of Christ and take about nine or ten messages to the end of the year. This is our third. What is the greatest honor that you have ever received? Maybe you were the valedictorian of your class. Some of you homeschoolers are certainly were, but uh, maybe you were the salutatorian. Okay, well then like me, maybe you got a kindergarten diploma. Amen to that. Or maybe you have a RN or a MD or you're a PhD or you passed the bar. Or you have a special certificate, a, a skill or a profession. Or you won an elite athletic award. Or perhaps it's your golden wedding anniversary. 50 amazing years. Now that's what I call an achievement. How many are here this morning who have been married 50 years, or were married 50, maybe your spouse is with the Lord, but uh, would you just uh, raise your hand, please? Isn't that something? Praise the Lord. Wow. And looking at a couple of you guys, it's not only a blessing, it's a miracle that your wife is in here. Amen. The prestigious Medal of Honor is the highest honor that can be earned in U.S. military. Of the 40 million Americans who have served in the armed services, only 3,517 have been recipients. Now, of course, not all honors are formally bestowed. One of the highest honors in American public life today is to have been canceled by the atheistic left like our new Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, has been. Just because you stand up for godly principles. But an honor. Zach Poonen, highly regarded Bible teacher from India, said this, man's greatest honor and privilege is to do the will of God. And I wholeheartedly agree. Nothing could be a greater honor than that. Just imagine then the incredible sense of honor that must have flooded 13-year-old or 14-year-old Mary's heart when she heard Gabriel's message that she would carry the promised Messiah in her womb, a moment that was planned before creation itself and prophesied from the very beginning of Scripture. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15 comes this amazing, somewhat muted promise. She will bear a child who will bruise the serpent's head. That's Mary. That's all, really, who follow after that. A hope of something changing for the better. Alive over the millennia in the hearts of God's faithful people was about to be realized. 
Isaiah the prophet said it this way in chapter 9 of his amazing book. His name, that is the Messiah's name, would be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, the Father of Eternity, and the Prince of Peace. This world will not have peace until the Prince of Peace comes. We'll have little snippets of it. We can have it in our lives, in our homes, in our churches. But think about it. The honor, the incredible privilege of giving birth to the Christ child. In today's world, Christmas is the most celebrated holiday the world over. Every nation on earth celebrates it. Now, many do not know, really, or fully understand the implications of a Messiah or Christmas. But his name is still glorified. And so our series is entitled From the Cradle to the Crown. Our first message was an unquestionable record. Our second last week, an unbelievable reveal. And today, an unequaled honor. True story, I'm told, but in a bank in Birmingham, New York, had some flowers sent to a competitor who had recently moved into a new building. Well, there was a mix-up at the flower shop, and the card that was sent with the arrangement read, with our deepest sympathy. The florist was just terribly embarrassed and apologized, but even more embarrassed he was when he realized that the card intended for the bank was attached to a floral arrangement sent to a funeral home in honor of a deceased person. And that card read, congratulations on your new location. <laughs> well, I hope we can keep things straight this morning as we honor the amazing woman, Mary, the mother of Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as I've gone through this passage again, I feel just overwhelmed at the incredible truths so insufficient the time that we have but holy spirit would you draw our minds together would you just collect our feelings and spirit and lord leave us with just a huge blessing as we think about the great honor that was mary's in jesus name amen we're in for an exciting journey this morning the greatest really of human history I must admit I feel woefully inadequate to really uh, talk because of the time limitations. I mean, almost every verse could be an entire sermon, let alone uh, 30 verses, which we hope we'll get to approximately. Mary was there in Nazareth, and an angel came, one of only two in Scripture that are actually named, Gabriel. He was sent with the most astounding and significant compliment ever paid to a human, right from God himself. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 19, it says, Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. So for the first time now, in 400 years, from the end of the book of Malachi to the beginning of the Gospels, there had been really no significant revelation from God. Well, there had been prophets, there had been others who had been speaking from God. But now the time had come for a change, and they were about to change in a big way. Mary was about to receive the greatest honor that anyone could. And so this morning, I would like to talk about Mary's five points of honor. Mary's 
five points of honor. First of all, she uh, was the recipient of a godly courier. This courier, this messenger, was an angel. Now, in Scripture, there are angels discussed. Some are fallen and some are not. Those that are not are those that are called holy angels. There are seraphim and there are cherubim. There are archangels. But there are only three named angels. Lucifer, who was, of course, an evil and fallen angel. Michael and Gabriel. And so this visit here is from one of the biggies. This was Gabriel. Let's look at verse 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth. City, it says. A generous description, I think. <laughs> By our standards, we would probably be pressed to even call it a town. We might call it a little area or even a village. It was a very small town in northern Israel, nothing significant about this particular village, either historically or geographically. There were roads that came through that narrow area of Israel, north and south, from Africa to Asia, but none of them passed through Nazareth. It was not particularly a beautiful area. It was not blessed with many natural resources. To the east was the desert to the west was the Mediterranean Sea. South of Nazareth was largely just a barren area, and to the north, it was an area that was attracting more people, a growing area to be uh, sure, but mostly Gentiles. The point is this. It's amazing to think then that when God sent the Savior of the world, the Messiah, He sent it to the most unlikely place, unlikely person, and the most unlikely point in time. It's almost to say big things often come in unlikely passages, kind of like salvation, actually. I was thinking about an article this week I had read out of Psychology Today. It was about consumer psychology, and it was about a time a generation ago. Back in the 50s, America's favorite homemaker, Betty Crocker, she debuted a new cake mix that, strange enough, became a big flop because the instructions said all you had to do was add water and bake. They figured everybody would just buy into it and the sales would soar. Crazy thing was they actually went down. Company couldn't understand. Why in the world would the sales go down? It's easier. They even tasted better. Well, what they didn't uh, realize until they had done their research was that the buying public actually felt uneasy about a mix that required only water. Apparently, they felt like it was too easy. It's too easy. You can't. That's just not good. And so they altered the formula. They said, all you have to do is add one egg. And then the stores, the sales started soaring once again. The idea worked for them. Now, that story reminds me of how some people treat the gospel. It just sounds too easy. But you know, the Bible, even though it is true, God saved you by His grace, God doesn't change the formula. God's formula is still, we are saved by grace. We don't have to add an egg or anything. Truth is, this message came to an unlikely person at an unlikely time, and it really was an unlikely message. 
Mary's five points of honor. She received a godly courier. Number two, there was a godly choice in that she was chosen. Verse 27, she was a godly receiver of a message. Verse 27, to a virgin, a spouse, to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Now, in contrast to Gabriel's first trip, which he came to give the story, uh, the message of a miracle birth to an influential older man, a pastor, and his wife, Zacharias and Elizabeth, here he comes to kind of the exact opposite, to bring God's message to a single, young lady, young and old, male and female. I think the point is, whether Eastern or Western, by many or by few, God is always ready to use anybody who, like Mary, is willing. In the English Parliament at the beginning of the 19th century, William Wilberforce led a charge to abolish slavery in Great Britain. He fought long and hard, but to no avail. After a while, he decided he was going to give up, and the great reformer, John Wesley, heard about his decision. And from his deathbed, he sent for him, and he gave him a verse. Just a couple days later, that amazing man of God, John Wesley, died. And for 45 more years, Wilberforce outmanned but fought hard. And then three days before his death, slavery was abolished in England, a movement that eventually spread worldwide even to America, thank God. What was that verse that John Wesley gave Wilberforce? Here it is. Paul's declaration, if God be for us, who can be against us? And that was, could have been given to Mary. Mary, you are just one gal, but if God be for you, who can be against you? Notice it says she was a virgin espoused. According to Roman law, the minimum age for a girl to be engaged in Mary's was shocking by today's standards. 12. For boys, it was the ripe age of 14. Now, of course, in our world today, it's a different scenario. And I'm sure many of us are glad our junior high puppy love didn't pan out, right? Yikes. But I think it is a significant point that God uses teenagers. God uses young adults. In fact, in the greatest event outside of Calvary in history, he chose a teenager. Notice it says she was a spouse. That's the King James word. If you have another translation, it'd probably say betrothed. Actually, they're interchangeable words. Technically, an espousal was a ceremony of betrothal, which was a formal agreement for the purpose of marriage. It was binding, it was legal, and the parents had a very important part, sort of, in some sense, kind of like uh, preparing them as they should. And by the way, just a footnote here, every young man and every young woman should seek to have their parents' blessings. You do not want to start out life without the blessings of your parents. This espousal would typically last a year, and they typically did not live together. During that time, the young lady's virginity would be proven, and then only death or divorce could sever that betrothal contract. The young man would usually prepare a place for her, usually would be an addition to the home that his father had. And so Mary was betrothed, that is, she was legally married to Joseph, though they were not together yet. 
His name was Joseph, it says, and he was of the house of David. Now, the Bible puts all these little facts in here for reasons. The father of our Lord, by birth, was a descendant of the greatest king of Israel. And those of you who've been coming on Sunday night know why that's important, because David was given the great Davidic covenant. The point here is if they had sent the DNA of the Christ child into Ancestry.com, they would have shown they had a royal line. I sent my spit into one of those DNA Ancestry sites. I think I'm related to Bruce Willis. I'm not sure here, but... Um, they say if you feel like it's too expensive, 60 or $80, to get one of those Ancestry kits, there's a cheaper alternative. Just announce you've won the lottery, and you'll find all the relatives you never knew you had. <laughs> but Christ Child's DNA was actually a very important fact. And that's why in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the things he says out of the gate was, this is the book, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ the son of David. It's very important, especially to those Old Testament Jews and New Testament Jews for that matter, that he's related to David. Well, if Jesus was the son of David, then his father had to be as well. And even though Joseph was not his natural father by blood, he was of the line of David and passed it on to Jesus because Jesus was his son by adoption, which was legally binding. It says the virgin's name was Mary. So this beautiful young lady's name in the Greek was Mary. In Hebrew, it's the same name, but it's pronounced Miriam. And she was named well because Miriam is Moses' sister, and it means exalted one. And yet, it doesn't say anything about Mary. It just gives us her name. I mean, at least Zacharias, a few verses earlier, said a certain priest, not a real big, uh, uh, you know, encouragement there, but at least it has something about him. But here, nothing about Mary. It's just Mary, period. Just Mary. Thank God. Mary, if God be for you, who can be against you? Five points of Mary's honor. She was sent a godly courier. She was made a godly choice. And then number three, notice the amazing godly commendation she's given. Verse number 25, the angel Gabriel comes. He said to her, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed thou art among women. Notice it says the angel came in. Well, that pretty much suggests that he came into her house or wherever she was. So the question we might ask ourselves is, is what was a 12 to 14-year-old girl doing alone in the house at that time? She was texting. I know she was texting, but anyway, no. No, she was likely preparing food. She was busy getting things ready for the family. And it says the angel came in. Now, apparently, no one was there. It didn't sound like there was. The angel walked in. And look what the angel says. Now, honestly, I laugh when I kind of begin to read this again. He walks in and he says, hail. Well, that's the old English. It just means hello. <laughs> the angel walks in and says, hello. Hey, how you doing? A strange man plops in your house and says, hello. I mean, it sure seems like he could have said something more dramatic than that. I mean, we've all seen the classic 
Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, right? And on Christmas Eve, Clarence comes to George Bailey and he says, every time a bell rings, an angel gets his wings. Yeah. Well, at least he could have said something more than hello, but that's what he said. He said hello. Well, uh, she didn't, hadn't seen him before, I'm sure. But notice his amazing commendation. Look what the angel says. He says, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Now, the word favored means grace. So what he says is grace is with you. In fact, highly grace, or you're full of grace. Full of grace. Now, I want to take a moment and make a point here. Because surprisingly, even though this is just a narrative, a very serious theological error comes from a misunderstanding of this verse. Some in religious circles postulate the erroneous notion that Mary, because she's full of grace, has grace to dispense to others. That somehow she's the source of grace. But friend, she is not the giver of grace. She is the getter of grace, that's what this verse says. And you know why? Because she was a sinner just like you and I. All people who receive grace are all classified under one term, and that is sinners saved by grace. And so it says here, blessed thou art among women. Again, I want to point out, she was the blessed, not the blesser. Dear friend, don't ever pray this way. Oh, Mary, forgive my sin. Oh, Mary, bless me. Oh, Mary, do this for me. Plead me before Jesus. My friend, she is not the grace giver, nor is she the blesser. That is Jesus' territory. She is a sinner saved by grace. She's never heard anybody's prayer. Never has. Now, was she chosen by God? Oh, yes. Was she an amazing person? Absolutely. Was she favored by God? Yes. But thank God, Jesus is our Savior. Verse 29, and she saw him. She was troubled at his saying, and she cast in her mind. What manner of salutation this should be. It says troubled. Actually, it's an interesting word. It's the word for dialogue. And so she was having a little conversation going on in her brain. You've done that, haven't you? I have. She was talking to herself. What in the world's going on here? Now, maybe not audibly, but I'm sure she had a lot of questions. And the angel, they're not all-knowing, but I'm sure, just like any angel, about the first thing they ever told any human when they met them was, verse 30, fear not. He sensed that she was alarmed. A strange man in your house? Uh, an angel? <laughs> I'm th thinking she was uh, upset. Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Again, there's that word favor. It's the Greek word charis, C-H-A-R-I-S. We get our word charity from. In fact, in the King James and 1 Corinthians 13, it talks about charity this and charity that. It's not a word we normally use today, but it used to be. When someone would get charity, it'd be like a beggar or a homeless person. You'd give them charity. The fact of the matter is actually a good word, and it's appropriate because Mary, like we are, was poor, at least by worldly standards, and she was a pauper. She needed the favor, the gifts of God. Notice what it says here. She found favor. A good point. She didn't earn the favor of God. Now, was she... Uh, dedicated, wonderful young lady, yes, but my friend, you and I don't 
earn favor, we can humbly ask for it, though. Verse 31, and behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. Now, when Gabriel said you'll conceive in your womb and bear a son, Mary instantly, and I think this is one of the reasons why God chose her. This lady knew the book. She knew God. She knew instantly. This was a quote from Isaiah 7 and verse 14, that a virgin will be with a child, not just a girl, not just anybody. I mean, not just a married person will be with a child. That's not a real sign. But a virgin would be with a child and bear a son. And so here we have an angel. He appears in the home, and he starts quoting Scripture. A Scripture-quoting angel. Amen. So should we be. But I think it's critical in the world we live in today to point out a few things about this verse. And I want you to bear with me and listen to me, if you would. In 2023, I think it's more important than ever that we understand that God valued the womb. Do you know what is the single most distinguishing factor of a female's identity? It is her womb. Genesis 2 and verse 23, Adam said this, she shall be called woman because she is taken out of man. The Hebrew word for man is ish. The Hebrew word for woman is ish shah. It means a man with a womb. A womb was God's beautiful, distinct gift to women. Now, of course, some have had medical problems and have no longer have a womb, and in some rare cases, never had one, and yet still are every bit a woman. But it's important to say this, that there is an intensified attack against the womb, which is inspired by the enemy. In fact, this is not just a recent thing. It is a war that began at the very beginning of time. In fact, God even warned us there would be a unique hostility between Satan and the man with a womb. Look what it says in Genesis 3 and verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the Isha. That person, that amazing person who has a womb, is there going to be a, an attack on her all of her life. Why? Why would there be an attack on women? Because, my friend, Satan knew that the Messiah, the Savior of the world would come through the womb of a woman. And today, he also knows that through the womb of a woman, godly seed comes forth to destroy his works. And so I say then this morning without stammer, and hear me, it is a satanic-inspired person that pushes gender-affirming surgery where they remove the womb of so-called trans men and non-binary people. I tell you this morning, that is an attack of Satan's self. And I want you to contemplate this fact. If Mary had listened to evil people like that, that would have scuttled the entire plan of God. And so her womb was used by God. My friend, let's be careful about what's going on in our world today. Let's pray for God to protect these precious ladies and our daughters. Now, there are three very important commendations were given to Mary, and they included about her son. First of all, he would be human. He would be human. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, 
the angel introduces something of his saving death in the name Jesus, or in Hebrew, Yeshua. The English spelling of the name Jesus is Joshua. The Greek translation of that is Jesus. So whether you say Jehovah saves, Yeshua saves, Joshua saves, or Jesus saves, it's all the same. They're all the names of God, and his nature does not change. He is a saving God, and that's his very name. And that's why Jesus came in Luke 19, verse 10, the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Mary's son would be the Savior of man. But the only way he could do that was to die in our place. And the only way he could die in our place was to be human. He had to have blood to be shed. He had to be able to die. God can't die, but one with human blood can. And so bound up in the word Jesus is his saving human death. Three attributes about her promised child. He would be human. Number two, he'd be holy. Verse 32, he shall be great. He shall be great. That could be translated extraordinary or splendid or magnificent, eminent, one of a kind. Impressive words that remind us of his extraordinary life, his righteous life, his holy life. And as you study through the book of Luke, back all the Gospels, you see God, mighty God, in every action and attitude of Jesus. In the book of Luke, you see God's holy thoughts and God's holy words and God's holy actions. When you watch Jesus in the Gospels, you see God. He was not only human, he was holy, he was God. And number three, he will be heavenly. He is heavenly. He is the son of the highest. That just means there's nobody higher than Jesus. By the way, that's a very familiar term to the Jews. They called God often the highest. And the Hebrew term is Elion. Elion, he's the highest. Nobody is higher than Jesus. Why? Because he's God. When Jesus said, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. And when he said, I and my Father are one, there is absolutely no way to misunderstand that. If you read the Bible, the New Testament with an open mind, you know that Jesus claimed to be deity. He was heavenly. Number, there, Let's go to verse 33, please. And he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Why is the world today turning against Israel? Because they, the Israel today are the forerunner. They're not eternal Israel, to be sure, but they are the forerunners of eternal Israel that will miraculously all be saved during the tribulation period. And that's why they hate Israel, because God has promised his eternity to them. Well, Mary then asks a very honest question in verse 34, one that makes sense. She said, uh, okay, I, she didn't say, no, I, I'm out of here, I'm, you know, you get somebody else. No, she just needed a little more information. She just said, um, so there's going to be a problem here. Um, how is this going to be possible since I don't know a man? She knew the only way to conceive was to have a relationship with a man. She was a virgin. She wasn't doubting or unbelieving. She seriously had no concept of how this could happen, given her current circumstances. The answer she receives is breathtaking. 
how is it possible? Verse 35, and the angel answered and said unto her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Gabriel says, well, here's how it's coming down. You are going to be overshadowed. The word there means surrounded, totally influenced, outside and inside. But we shouldn't be really surprised by this divine creation because it was the Holy Spirit who was the architect of this earth's original creation. When the earth was void and without form, he stepped into the womb of the world and created this earth. And so he does it again here. And unlike any other human, he is going to be called the Son of God. That is, he is the exact duplication of God because he is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three in one. Now, this is the amazing record of a virgin conceiving a child, an incarnation where God is born through a human. This is called the virgin birth. By the way, this is the foundation of the gospel. It is critical to our faith. If Jesus had a human mother and a human father, then Jesus is a man and not God. But if he is a man and not God then he is not the Savior. There's no salvation. There's no good news. And so the very inerrancy of Scripture depends upon a virgin birth and the gospel itself. Mary, if I was her, I would say, what in the world? How's this going to be? She doesn't ask for a sign, but God graciously strengthens her faith in giving her several wonderful confirmations. Let's look at those, verses 36 to 45. Her three confirmations. First of all, she gets one personally from Elizabeth. Personally from Elizabeth. Verse 36, this is her older cousin. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth hath conceived a son in her old age. That's very definitely unique. And this is the sixth month with her. She's six months pregnant, who was called barren beforehand. This young Precious young lady, Mary, has this older cousin who's probably in her 60s, maybe 70s. Her husband is a pastor. He's a priest. His name is Zacharias. And they're going to have a child, their first child, and he's going to be a son. Impossible? Yes, <laughs> humanly. But as verse 37 says, with God, nothing is impossible. In fact, everything with God is possible. That's exactly why Jeremiah the prophet said, with nothing is too difficult for thee. It's been said when God wants to do something wonderful, He begins with a difficulty. But when God wants to do something spectacular, He begins with an impossibility. So what did Mary do? She just surrendered. She said, Lord, all to Thee I surrender. Verse 38, And Mary said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to Thy word. And the angel departed from her. Faithful, godly, surrendered young lady who gave herself to God, whatever he wanted to do, no matter what he wanted to do, I'm yours, Lord. But I want to point out something. In this verse, I think is the greatest operating system of life. Now, I don't know what operating system you use. Some use IBM and Microsoft and Android, and then there's Apple. But then there's Rhema. You say, what is that? Well, that's a word from the Holy Spirit. Notice what it says here. Be it unto me according to thy word. That right there is the greatest operating system of all. 
She said, be it unto me according to thy word. Now, the, the word word there is rhema, R-H-E-M-A. It means a specific word from God. Now, there is the word in the New Testament, logos, L-O-G-O-S, which means the total word of God. Rhema means a special word from God. So here's what it means. God had given her rhema, and she said, God, I'm going to go in the strength of that today. In fact, I'm going to go in the strength of that the rest of my life. You gave me this word. You say, how do you get a rhema? Well, I, I don't think you have to call into some televangelist and say, I want a rhema. No, you get in your Bible, and you just begin to pray and just say, Lord, I, just, I need something today. I need something today. God, give me a rhema. Because once you give me that rhema, be it unto me. I believe it. You wouldn't have told me if I, you didn't plan to do it. That is the great secret to life is to get up, get in your Bible, get some time in prayer and say, God, I need a word. It's not a new revelation. It's just an inspired inspiration of God's amazing word. And then a simple postscript in that little verse, and then the angel departed. Mission accomplished. He went back to the presence of God and the God-man was going to be born. Well, she had firsthand information from her cousin. She had a confirmation from all these. It was amazing. And so in verses 39 and 40, we won't really go over them, but she goes to the hill country. She goes to see her cousin firsthand. Now, some have suggested that the reason she left Nazareth was because she wanted to hide her own pregnancy, but this was still very early. I don't think there was anything to hide. I just believe she was a seeker of truth. By the way, that's the great way to be. By the way, I commend you for coming on Sundays, and those of you that are watching online, God bless you. You're a seeker. We have people who check us out, and if you're checking us out, thank you for being a seeker. You're like Mary, and I'm praying for you today. Verse 41, and it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, she was saluted by Mary. The babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And we're not talking about a military salute here. The word means a dialogue. Mary told her story. Mary came in, saw her cousin, and just, uh, just started blabbering out. Here's this young teenage girl just talking a mile a minute. I'm sure she was. So young, I call her a girl, young lady. Then Elizabeth gave her testimony of events. Isn't that beautiful? Here, this young, teenage young lady, 13 or 14, people say, well, I don't have anything in common with my teenager. You do if you love Jesus. Spend some time with her, 60, 70-year-old precious sister. Spend some, find a spirit-filled 13 or 14 young lady and tell them your story, and then let her tell you her story. Man, that's, that is true Christian fellowship. Fellowship has been described as two fellows in the same ship. And it, you talk about two fellows in the same ship, two pregnant ladies, they were in a ship together for sure. You know, I'm an avid reader, and, and so I have a little knowledge about a lot of subjects, some more than others, but I will tell you this, nothing thrills my soul than getting the time to talk with someone about the Lord. I love it. When someone starts talking about the Bible or some verse or what God, I, I love it. I don't care how old they are. I love it. Whether our little six or seven-year-old granddaughter or our saints. Oh, my goodness. I love it. 
Mary had three confirmations. God is so good to give them to her. Personally, she gets it from her elder cousin, Elizabeth. Then physically, she gets a confirmation from the unborn John the Baptist. Something happened physically that it was just amazing. Verse 41, the babe leaped in her womb. Now, some of you dear ladies who've had a child know, you know, movement is not unlikely, but leaping? <laughs> well, maybe some of you had some leapers, but, uh, but this was different. I mean, the fact of the matter is this was John the Baptist preaching. He couldn't get out of the womb fast enough. It was a silent sermon, but it was still a preaching. He was a true prophet. When we were in Peru last year, we had the blessed privilege of going to a church in Lima. And the fellow who started actually uh, is the, one of the founders of, uh, I think, uh, South American or uh, sign language. There's different types of sign language, American sign language. And at any rate, so he had a large group of people who were hearing impaired. So we were there, and we got the privilege of hearing. Well, <laughs> it was hearing, but we saw the sermon. So it was a fellow who was deaf. He had uh, been raised in Lima, poor, taken off the street. He had gotten saved. He preached with this South American sign language. And, man, I'm telling you what, you, you talk about somebody not like me standing here. He's, I mean, he was all over the place, and he was like this, you know, like this. And well, his son was in the back interpreting over with a microphone. And he was preaching in Spanish. So the man was preaching in sign language. His son was interpreting in Spanish. And then the missionaries behind me interpreting into English. <laughs> you talk about a mixed up thing, but I tell you what, I got it. It was great. He talked about how was it great to be one of the king's children. She got a personal confirmation from Elizabeth, a physical confirmation from this leaping preacher in the womb, and then prophetically she gets a word from the Holy Spirit. Then Elizabeth, 40, 41, was filled with the Holy Ghost, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did she do? Verse 42, she spake out with a loud voice. You know, being filled with the Holy Spirit is often connected to speaking a message about God. You'd say, well, I don't even know if I've ever felt the Holy Spirit. Well, let's turn that around. Speak for God. And I would suggest that you'd be surprised. You'll feel the Holy Spirit. It says in Isaiah, when he saw God high and lifted up, God touched his tongue with a coal. And I believe when we see God high and lifted up and the Holy Spirit comes, there is a touching on our tongue. Our tongues are different. Every time you see someone in the Bible that gets healed or something, boy, you start speaking. But notice it says she speak with a loud voice. Now, obviously, she didn't normally talk like that. She was just, she's not a loud person, but she couldn't help herself. By the way, it wouldn't have helped being loud anyway because her husband was deaf. He'd been deaf since he didn't believe God, and God took his hearing away for a while, and speaking wasn't. She was just excited. She got excited about the Lord, and so what did she do? She gave a praise. Actually, it was a song. And this is known as Elizabeth's song. And it says in verse 42, she spake out with a loud voice, blessed art thou among women. Blessed are you among women. She began to talk about the amazing privilege of having 
a child, but more than that, the child was the son of God. By the way, just a note, any greatness we have, any blessings we have, is always associated with our connection to Jesus. That was Mary's greatness. It was her connection to Jesus. Verse 43, and whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? The mother of my Lord should come to me. Very clearly, she said, that child in your womb is my Lord and Savior. She wasn't saying, well, I'm going to be so happy to have a nephew. She was saying, that is my that is my Lord, that is my Savior. Now, a footnote here, another doctrine that needs to be clarified. Jesus, Mary is the mother of Jesus. She is never in Scripture called the mother of God. God, nobody is God's mother. God has always existed, despite what some religions will say. Now, verses 44 and 45, he summarizes, but I want to point one little part of verse 45 out. It says, blessed is she that believed. Of course, she was commending Mary for being a believer and herself, I guess, for being a believer. But I want to point out that in 2023, do you want to be blessed? Then this is your verse. Blessed are those that believe. You want to have a great 2024? Believe. Believe. Believe God and trust God and follow God and put him first in your life. Her faith now confirmed, rock solid. Now Mary burst forth in praise to God in this amazing worship. And Mary sounds like a singing Bible. And we find our sixth point this morning as we wrap this up, a godly consecration. This little part here is sometimes called Mary's Magnificat. It just means Mary's worship, Mary's praise song. I mean, Mary was an amazing young woman. She heard a word from God. She believed it. And more important, she surrendered to it. And she said, okay, I surrender. There are folks in this room that have been fighting God for years. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Why would you keep fighting God? I don't get it. What do you get out of that anyway? Why? What do you get out of that? Fighting God? You get nothing but just all the junk of life. But she believed God. She submitted to God. She praised God. And when she did that, her great song is one of the most amazing examples of pure worship in all of Scripture. Number one, notice the feelings of her worship. The feelings of her worship. This was not just some, well, I'm just going to sing it because it's there. No. This was a heart thing. Look at verse 46. My soul. My soul. What is it that makes your soul feel good? You know, in computers, they have these little cookies they put in or whatever. Some, if you ever click on something, you'll start getting ads about that. You know, I wonder what kind of cookies are in our soul. What is it that makes your soul just rumble? A new car, a new house, all good, nothing wrong with that. But I tell you one thing, her soul was consumed with God. And she echoed in her words, Psalm 34 and verse 2, my soul shall make her boast in the Lord. And I, along with Mary, would confirm to you, my greatest 
time of life is when I pray back the Psalms. My spirit, verse 47, my spirit rejoiced in God. The promises of God to me are so amazing, so wonderful. The feelings of her worship was deep and wonderful. These were the things that motivated her. These were the cookies that were in her life. And then number two, the force of her worship. She rejoiced in God, her Savior. You know what is sad to me? Many people are in, sitting in churches today, even in our area, I'm sad to say, where they are taught very little about God. It's this or that or emotion or whatever, but friends, you are cheated out of worshiping God when you don't know enough about God and you don't hear about God and get into the Word. If that sermon is not mired deeply in the Word of God, my friend, that's not your place. Go to a place where the force of your worship is strengthened because of God, the feelings of her worship and the force of her worship, and then finally, the focus of her worship. Verse 48, she said, I'll tell you one thing, it's not about me. He hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. Verse 49, He hath done to me great things. In today's humanistic world, I'm afraid if God had chosen some to tell them, the mother, you're going to be the mother of Messiah, and I'm going to use your womb, I'm afraid today there are some women who would say, look, I'm no breeder. I'm not your womb. You just go on your way, God. But Mary said, I'm a nobody. She said, I'm a person of low estate. I'm just a village girl. I live in a no-place town called Nazareth. I'm no sorority girl. I'm nothing. She wasn't singing, I am woman, hear me roar. Not her. A genuine humility is the only way to worship God. But it wasn't just about her. She knew it was about others. Verse 50, this is not just about me. I know that. And his mercy is on all those who fear him from generation to generation. The mercy of God. The mercy of God is for generation after generation because of Mary today. 2,000 years later, we're here praising God, saved by his grace, all because Mary just said, I'm your handmaiden, Lord. In verse 52, she points out that this is what, she gives a history lesson. She said, this is what God's always done. <laughs> he put down the mighty from their seats. That's just a phrase saying, God has always given Israel, victory against all odds. And by the way, that's still what God is doing. And in 2023, we stand with Israel this morning. We do. Yes, we do. Verse 
verse 53, he's always filled the hungry with good things. Verse 54, he's always helped his servant Israel. Verse 55, just like he spoke to our father Abraham. She worshipped the merciful God, the Savior of the nations, and she humbly said, I'm your handmaiden. Whatever you want, I'll do. I surrender. That's Mary's story. How about you? During the early days of the ministry of the 19th century's Billy Graham, a man by the name of Dwight Moody, he launched a meeting in Chicago with the promise that some of the largest crowds that he'd ever addressed would be there. And on Sunday night, October 8, 1871, it was a huge crowd in a Chicago church. Dio Moody was speaking on the life of Christ, and his topic was the fake trial before Pilate. And there's always fake stuff that they put out about God's people. He came to the end of the message, and he referred to Pilate's question. Here's Pilate's question. You may remember, it's in the book of Matthew. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called Christ? Dio Moody concluded in his mind that was a perfect cliffhanger, a great sermonic pause, as it were. And so here's what he said. He said, I want you to take this text home with you and turn it over in your minds during the week. And next Sabbath, when we come back, we're going to come to Calvary, and we're going to decide what to do with Jesus of Nazareth. In later years, Moody called that conclusion the greatest mistake of his life. And they asked him why. And here's what he said. He said, because while Mr. Sankey was singing the final hymn, today the Savior calls. The very moment he was singing, we began to hear the engines sound on the street. And that was the first contact with the great Chicago fire. The hall itself was laid in ashes and a thousand persons lost their lives. Moody never saw that congregation again. He never saw those people to whom he had spoken to that night. And he felt so bad that he didn't say today, right now, surrender, give your all. And so this morning I urge each of you, along with myself and the wonderful example of Mary, who said, I'm the handmaiden of the Lord. I surrender all. Will you? Can you say along with Elizabeth, that child is not my nephew. That child is my Lord and Savior. Is he yours? I trust that he is. Our heads are bowed and our eyes. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.